You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Last week I took a little detour uh, to speak about the love and blessings of God, and now we're getting back into the books, book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the blueprint. It is the thing that we use to be able to determine how the church ought to be and how the church should be, not necessarily what we think it ought to be, but what God wants it to be, how they did it, how they began in those early parts of the first century as they tried to follow after God's direction and leading for their lives. Last time we left, Paul, he was in the uh, area of Troas. He was preaching a late-night sermon, his farewell goodbye sermon, and a young man named Eutychus fell out the window, fell three stories to his death and died, and then Paul raised him up from the dead and then continued preaching, like any good preacher would, because they said, you know, I'm not done with my sermon yet, so get back up there and listen. But we find ourselves uh, after that, and so after uh, the time in Troas, um, Paul is making his way to Miletus, and he is uh, on his way to Jerusalem once again. So if you're in your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We'll be looking at Acts 20 today. Um, If you have an app, you can certainly turn there. We're using the New King James Version. I hope you can follow along with us. Can I just say it's really important to follow the Word? Can I really just say it's, it's important that you know the word for yourself? So I remember the days where, you know, when I started preaching here, like I would hear the rustling of pages as we got to the area of the sermon. And that's actually good because you get familiar with where things are in the scriptures. That's an important thing. And whether you're using the physical word in, in terms of a book or you're using the app, it's good for you to get familiar where to find things and where things are located um, and so that the word of God doesn't become foreign to you. And the other thing, too, is it will keep you from false teaching. So if I decide to go crazy one day and start saying all kinds of weird nonsense, like aliens and other stuff, you go, hey, wait a minute. It doesn't say that there. So it's important for you to be knowledgeable in the word, too. Don't just simply take my word for it, but be in the word yourself, okay? So we'll be in Acts 20 today. And so this background, he calls for the Ephesian elders. Paul is kind of en route. He wasn't catching a flight, but he was catching a ship, okay? And he was going to catch a ship in Miletus, and he was going to take him to Jerusalem because he wanted to be there in time for Pentecost Sunday. So along the way, uh, he calls for the Ephesian elders because he wants to meet with them before he departs, before he leaves. As one commentator puts it, Paul chose to walk all the way from Troas, where he raised Eutychus from the dead, to Assos, a distance of about 20 miles. So can you imagine this? The Apostle Paul uh, is done preaching his farewell sermon in Troas, and then he walks 20 miles. Maybe he was saying to himself, why couldn't God just kind of do a Philip thing where, you know, God picked up Philip in a whirlwind and transported him from one place to another. But Paul is walking on foot 20 miles uh, from Troas to Assos. Now, why does he walk? For one thing, it enabled him to stay longer with the saints in Troas while he sent Luke and the party ahead. And it would take a ship at least a day to sail from Troas to Assos. And Paul could easily walk that distance in about 10 hours or less. Also, Paul probably wanted some time alone to commune with the Lord about his trip to Jerusalem. The apostle must have sensed already the difficult days were laying ahead of him. And he may also have been pondering the message that he would give to the Ephesian elders. Finally, 
uh, the exercise was certainly beneficial. Even apostles need exercise. And let me just pause here to say this, too, as the author kind of talks about this. You know, many times I talk to people and they say, you know, I can't find a place of quiet to do my quiet times. You know, it used to be that, like, you were at home and no one else was. Now everybody's at home. Like, everybody's at home, like, all the time. So you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, I'm trying to do my devos, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to spend some time alone with God, and there's just noise and distraction and comfort and all those other things that go along with that. Can I encourage you? Take a walk. You know, really, just go out, take a walk, you know, and, and spend some time with the Lord alone. Bundle up. It's really cold outside. I get it. But spend some time alone with the Lord or go for a drive. You know, find a place of solitude where you and God can be alone. The author goes on to say there were 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. In fact, the word Pentecost means 50th. And it took another four days to get to Miletus. So Paul decided not to go to Ephesus lest he lose any more valuable time. Instead, he invited the leaders of the Ephesian church to travel about 30 miles and meet him in Miletus where the ship was waiting to unload cargo and take on passengers. And Paul was not one to waste time or to lose opportunities. So think about it this way. Paul is waiting for his ship to set sail. He had already spent 12 days uh, in Troas, and, and, and now it is taking four more days for the ship to arrive. And so he's running out of time before he has to go to uh, you know, Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, which is an interesting thing because here is the Apostle Paul, who is, is a significant person in the New Testament. He is all about uh, grace and not the law. But yet, he's still, like most Jewish men, saw it to be important to go to the certain feasts at certain times of the year. And there were certain times in which he would go and present himself before the Lord and, and honor the Lord in different ways. And uh, so it's interesting to think about those sort of things um, because we sometimes think, well, okay, well, you know, we're in the New Covenant, so the Old Covenant stuff doesn't matter whatsoever. But there are some things that we can learn and we can practice from the Old Testament as well. So Paul sends for the Ephesian elders to come to him. They meet him at the port. He spends some time with them, and he wanted to meet with them one more time before parting. Now, why did he say this? Why did he summon them? Because he loved them, and he wanted to say goodbye, and because God's work must continue even without him. Now, here's a disclaimer. In case you were worried, this is not my farewell message, okay? So even though I'm talking about saying goodbye and partings and leaving well, understand that I'm not going anywhere. So don't think of this as some kind of cryptic message about me leaving Living Hope. I'm going to be here for a while, but I share this message because it's part of the story of Paul's journey, and we can learn from his story. We see that life is a series of meetings and partings. That's the, mess, the title of my message today. Now, Cecilia Ahern, who is an Irish author who wrote the book, If You Could See Me Now, wrote this quote, and this is where we get the phrase, meetings and partings, and you might hear it from time to time in in movies and other uh, situations. What did she say? And beginning in the quote, she says this, life is made up of meetings and partings. People come into your life every day. You say good morning. You say good evening. Some stay for a few minutes. Some stay for a few months, some a year, and others a whole lifetime. No matter who it is, you meet 
and then you part. Life is full of meetings and partings, comings and goings. People who come into our lives and people who leave them. It's just the way things are. Meetings and partings are a part of life. There's some who stay for a little while, some who stay briefly, but each part who each person has a part in your story in some way. Listen, there are some people we wish we could they could stay forever. And then there's others who we think will never leave. And all the parents with adult children still living in their basement said, Amen. <laughs> but we do not have any control over that. We don't have control over who the people that come in and out of our life. Instead, it's only God who has control over those things. God determines the times and the seasons of our lives, the beginnings and the endings and the times in which we live. It's God who's in control of those things. And we must trust that God is directing the moments, the milestones, and the memories of your life. It's God who directs the moments, the milestones, and the memories of your life, for good or bad. Because sometimes we only want to remember the good. Many of you might have watched, uh, you know, the movie, um, the Pixar movie about feelings and emotions, right? What's the name of the movie again? I can't remember that one. Inside Out. Inside Out. Because there was a movie Inside Out, and they had each thing that had, like, represented different emotions, and it was very psychological. And some part of the movie, like, they only wanted to remember the good things. Don't remember the bad things. But the good things are part of our life, but so are the bad. The bad are part of the things that we've gone through, part of our story, they're part of our testimony. They're part of what makes us who we are today. And there are meetings and partings in life that we can't control, but God's in charge of those encounters. Sometimes we get stuck. We get hung up on the people who have left our lives. Some connections and friendships we'll have for other, forever. And then there's other ones that just simply come and go. Some are easy to get over. Others are really difficult to bounce back from. But we must see all of this in light of God's plan and his purpose for us. I don't think the Ephesian elders thought that when Paul was summoning them to Miletus to meet with him, that he was going to tell them, you're never going to see me again. Which Paul actually says. This is the last time you'll see me. You will never see my face again. And I'm sure that probably came as a bit of a shock to the Ephesian elders. These men who had spent time with God and spent time with Paul and knew him well. And I'm sure this news was difficult to hear. Now, what are elders? Now, if you're wondering what an elder is, the elder is presbyteros in the Greek, which means presbyter. and refers to a mature person who have been selected to serve in office. These same people are called overseers in Acts 20, 28, which is episkopos, which is where we get the word bishop from. They were chosen to feed the church, which means to be a shepherd. And Paul called the local church a flock. So these men were also pastors, which the word pastor means shepherd. Thus, in New Testament churches, the three titles of elder, bishop, and pastor were synonymous. They all meant the same thing, of which we see the qualifications for those positions found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So these men that Paul calls for 
are overseers. They are uh, presbyteros, episcopos. They are bishops and overseers of the church. They were responsible for the care and the well-being and the teaching of the church. And this is a place where Paul spent three years of his ministry here. Remember, Paul traveled quite a bit, but here in Ephesus, because his ministry was particularly fruitful in Ephesus, he spent a lot of time teaching, preaching, discipling, and raising up leaders to lead the church. He was invested in them, and he cared about them and the church he helped to establish. Now, this is really wonderful when you think about it. Think of everything that you've ever heard about apostles in the modern context. And we, see, we hear the name quite a bit. And you might see them on television, or you might see their posters different places. But a tr- true mark of apostleship is the care and concern that it has for the people that are underneath them. That's the mark of apostleship. That Paul cared enough about the Ephesian elders. He listened, he planted that church, he raised that church, he raised up these people to be leaders in the church. And when he had to go, he didn't just leave them. But he cared enough about them and he said, you know what, come together. Come to me. I care about you. I love you. Come and meet with me. And there's some things I need to tell you. That's the mark of apostleship, that you love and care for people underneath you. It's not just a title. The word apostle means sent one, usually a missionary or a, a worker of some sort that is gifted by God to go establish a work. That's an apostle. But some people leave it at that. But they don't ever care about the people that they raise up, they preach to, they share to. There is a relationship that should be there as well that we need to keep in mind. So Paul sits down with these Ephesian elders. He says, you know, I love you. You, You've been part of my ministry for three years. I care about you. And so there's some things I need to share with you. And there's four things I want to share with you today about meetings and partings that we can learn from Paul's dialogue with the Ephesian church. Listen, it's never pleasant when people walk out of our life. And there's a tendency at times that when people walk out of our lives that we say, I don't want anybody else to walk into my life. Whether you've been in a bad relationship and you say, you know what, I'm single for life. I'm single till I ride or die. I'm never getting together with anyone ever again because you know what, the last person that walked out of my life was difficult and so I'm never opening the door for anyone to meet with me again. Or maybe you've been in church and church has not been a great situation and the last church that you at would blew up or split or the pastor fell into sin or like someone said something terrible to you and you said, you know what? That was horrible. That was terrible and I'm never going to church again. You might be watching online and that might be where you're coming from. But you know what? It's difficult as some of the experiences that we have when people walk out of our life and when we have to walk out of situations, understand that we should never fully close the door to new meetings. We should never fully shut the door to what God would want to do in our life or the people he would want to bring into our life. Because when we say never again, we are saying to God, nope, I don't need anyone else. I'm absolutely fine the way I am. I am perfect. I don't need anyone or anything. Listen, there's something to be said for being independent. It is a strong quality to have. If you are a single mom and you raised your kids yourself, I commend you. You are a hero. You are a wonder woman. Single mom, single dads, you you did it all. But understand today, it's like when we close the door and we say no one will ever 
come into my life again. We are closing the door to God allowing people to come into our life and influence us some way for good. And in some ways, change our perception of the future by changing our situation in the present. It's like, well, every, you know, you can tend to uh, develop and think, well, you know what? Nothing will ever be good again. No church will ever be good. No job will ever be good. No man or woman will ever be good. And you've closed that door, but God might just happen to bring someone into your life just to prove you wrong. Glory be to God. Amen? That God would bring someone into your life just to prove you wrong. That the grace of God would be at work through a church or through a person or through a pastor. Listen, you're here at Living Hope because of the fact that somewhere in the, the walk of your life, things weren't great. You had been hurt. People had hurt you. And this place, it's the model for Living Hope Church has always been a place of hope and healing. Through the message of Christ in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We believe strongly that God brings people into this church for the purpose of healing, restoring, and then sending out again. We believe in that. That's what we're about. So at some point in time, you had to open the door here, or you had to open the door here to allow God to do that. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And you're the better for it, even though there was a time in your life you said, I don't need that. I don't need anyone or anything. There's a difference between hurt and independence. Hurt protects us and we say, okay, well, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. You can be wise and not close doors. Amen? That's like saying you got into a car accident, I'll never drive again. That's like saying you ate pizza once, burned the roof of your mouth, I'll never eat pizza again. That thing burns the roof of your mouth. Right? That seems silly to talk about, but there are things in life where we say, okay, we go through things, and we experience things, and we learn from them, and we become discerning, and we become wise. But I want to share with you four things that Paul shared with the uh, Ephesian elders, things that he did and things that they can learn from. So the first thing is this. Number one, when it comes to meetings and partings, let people into your life. Let people into your life. Verse 17 and 18 it says, from Miletus, he sent the, uh, to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in which manner I lived always among you. Paul starts off, he says, you know what I was like the first day I came to you. Paul came to Ephesus with Silas. There's no church, no converts, no one to welcome him. He did the work of the, an evangelist and preached the gospel and people listened to him, and people believed, and people stayed with Paul, and they were discipled, and they grew, and Paul stayed three years in Ephesus, and he raised up people, he discipled leaders, and he raised up that church in that region, and this is all because someone let Paul into their life. That there were people that listened to his preaching and said, you know what, I choose to believe. I choose to listen. I choose to get closer to this man who is preaching the gospel, this man of God that God has brought into our region. I feel drawn to him and his message. And so they let Paul into their lives. They let Paul speak into their lives. And as a result, a church grew and prospered and people were saved and discipled and baptized because God was working through Paul. This all began because someone 
because some people let Paul into their lives. Being let into someone's life is a privilege. Never take that for granted. If you are in friendship with someone, understand that someone is letting you into their lives. And that's a privilege. And that should be treated with great care and concern. That when you open your heart to someone, when you share about your life with somebody, it means that there's an open door there and there's a connection there. And so both on the part of the person that is opening their heart to you and on your part that's receiving it, understand that we got to treat that with great care and concern because that's a sacred trust. That's a connection that we make one with another. And there are people that, as you notice, as they've been through stuff, they are, tend to be cold and shut off, right? They build up walls. And listen, walls protect. They do. So if you say, well, I don't ever want to be hurt again, and so you build up a wall around yourself, and like no one can get in and no one can hurt me again, that's great. No one can get to you and hurt you again. But by the same token, you've also isolated yourself and you've made yourself very lonely because you've trapped yourself in that isolation as well. I think there's no probably no greater example of that than the last uh, year that like the entire country's experienced when we've talked about isolation and quarantine and all that stuff. We know what that feels like now, don't we? But when we talk about it from an emotional standpoint, we protect ourselves, but by the same token, we've also closed the door to the opportunity to connect with someone in a real and meaningful way. And so walls protect, but walls can also make you a prisoner as well. When we do this, our circle becomes smaller. By believing so, we, we will insulate ourselves from heartache, but the truthfully, it may prevent some pain, but no one ever can fully insulate or protect themselves from ever being hurt again. Friendships and relationships are equal parts risk and reward. The risk is when you make yourself vulnerable, you can be hurt. It's just the way it is. You share about your life, you share about the things that are important to you, you share about the things that you care about. Anytime you make friends, there is an inherent risk that you could be hurt. But the rewards are greater than the risk. The rewards are greater than the risk because when we go into that situation, there's an opportunity to not feel lonely anymore. There's an opportunity to develop fellowship. There's an opportunity to experience love, uh, the love of Christ through people like you've never experienced before. But when you choose not to, you close that door and you never get to experience that. So you have to be willing to let people in. Now, you should be discerning and wise and careful about what you choose to share with somebody. That's wisdom. But you never close your doors to like, okay, well, I don't want to have to do with anybody. And I come to church, but I leave immediately. But then I'll complain about that I have no friends and no one talks to me. Right? I mean, let's be real, right? Let's talk church for a minute. It's like we talk about like I'm here, I leave, no one talks to me at church. You leave, like, right when church gets over. What do you want? Well, no one's calling me. Have you called anybody? Let's think about this. It's an equal way. There's a two-way street when it comes to friendship. The Scriptures tell us that he who wants friends must first become friendly because no one likes a miserable person to hang around with. I don't know about you. I don't, and I can be pretty miserable at times. So you understand what I'm saying? It's like we got to stop saying to everybody, well, everyone else you know, knock down my wall. 
Some people are like, that's work. Forget it. Now, God will put some people in your life that will be so concerned about you and your well-being that they will hammer away at that wall until you finally open up. Much to your irritation, but also much to your need. So sometimes God puts people in your life like that because they need to break down those walls so you can start to feel again, so you can start to love and care again. Just because meetings open us up to risk and just because when someone leaves us, whether it be a friend that moves away and they go to Florida or Texas because it's way better down there, don't get mad at them. It's like, how dare you? We've been friends since high school. How could you leave me alone in this wilderness, in this frozen wasteland up here? And we can't get mad over that. Listen, we don't control people's lives. God brings people in and out of our lives because their story is not always our story. And they're connected with us, but they're not always on the same pathway. So can we be understanding and gracious to that? Just because when people leave, it hurts, doesn't mean that we should avoid any and all meetings entirely. You got that first one, let people in. Secondly, live well. Live well. Paul says, you know how I live, verses 18 through 24. He says, you know in the manner which I always lived among you, verse 18, serving the Lord with humility and with many tears and trials happening to me by the plotting of the Jews and how I kept nothing back. Underline that. That's a real good verse right there. I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, see, I go bound in the Spirit towards Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I might finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord uh, Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So I want you to write down three things here. Okay, remember, live well. Paul said, I came into your life, you let me in. Thanks be to God that you did. And a church sprung up out of it. And God did great things among us. And for three years, we, we shared life together. I lived among you, I walked among you. But he said, you know what? He lived well, too. He said, when I came to you, you know how I lived among you. And there's three things you can write under this. Live humbly, live with integrity, live generously. Live humbly, live with integrity, live generously. Listen, Paul was talking about it this way, is that he came not proud or arrogant, but he came in humility. Some of the best friendships that you can have are people who don't think they're all that great, who don't think they're better than you. Am I right? Those relationships, when we, when we realize that we're on common ground one with another, that's an important thing. Humility is necessary for serving the Lord. The scriptures tell us that God opposes the proud. It means he actively sets himself up against the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, I want to be on the receiving end of grace. Because the scriptures tell us that pride comes before the what? So if you're proud, you're cocky, you're arrogant, you think you're pretty great, God's like, ah, where's that banana peel? I'm going to get trip that guy up. Or uh, how's, how's a way that I can humble this person? And sometimes as we walk around thinking we've got it all figured out, as we walk around thinking that we're the best thing ever, there are times where life and people 
And even God will take us down a couple pegs to just help us recognize we're not all that. We don't have it all together. Listen, you're all pretty great. You are. You're awesome. But there are times where if you start to think of yourself as too great, it's like God finds a way to kind of keep you humble. Even when it came to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote, because of the exceedingly great revelations that I've received, a, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, a person that God put into my life to kind of give me a hard time to keep me humble. There are times in life where you have somebody just like that person's like a, like a pebble in your shoe, like a grain of sand in your eye as you're walking through life, and you're like, why do I always have to encounter that person? The question I would have you ask yourself is, how are you doing with humility? Because if that person is an irritation to you, if that person is constantly reminding you of, of like how terrible you are or that you're not that great, it could be that because you might have kind of started to believe you're oppressed a little too much. So we need to be humble. Integrity, Paul says, I lived and walked among you with integrity. I took nothing from you. Everything that I, I have, I've only taken what I've needed to live and to get by. I've not extorted any of you. I've not stolen from any of you. I lived and walked a certain way. And I'll tell you right now that if you walk with integrity, your friendships will have lasting value. If you walk with integrity, your work will have lasting value. You'll have longevity in your work. You say, well, pastor, there were times I did the right thing and work did the wrong thing by me. But you know what? If you walk in integrity, if you do the right thing, every time that there is someone looking, and even when people are not looking, when people investigate, when people look into things, they will find that you are not guilty of any wrongdoing. And you will silence the mouths of the accusers without even saying a word. Why? Because you lived in such a way that people had nothing to say against you. That's a wonderful thought to think of. Live with integrity. Walk in such a way that people would notice that you are a person that would not lie, cheat, or steal, or do anything that would bring uh, negativity to your testimony or disparage the name of Christ. Walk in such a way that you live with integrity. But he also said, you know, think about it this way, living generously. And I'm not talking about giving money or something like that, but that Paul said, he said, I held nothing back from you that was helpful. I, I held nothing back that would have been beneficial to you. And honestly, when we go through stuff, when people walk out of our life, and when things happen to us, we become negative. We become bitter. We become resentful. And all of a sudden, the things that are good in our life that we could give freely, we become stingy with those things. To the degree that we make people earn it. Well, earn my care. Earn my concern. Try, try and wake me up as if I could care less about what you're doing in your life. So we kind of have this thing where it's like, you know, I'll only be generous with my, my love, with my grace, with my concern, with my forgiveness, if that person's worthy of it. And that's how the things in life change us in a negative way. When we live generously, listen, Paul said, listen, I lived under constant threat. Paul even said, he says, like, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I have no idea what's awaiting me there. He said, I served God and I served you with tears because of the plotting of the Jews that were looking for my life. And Paul could have easily said, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to go, you know, live on the side of a mountain 
and you can come see me there, or I could be the underground church, and you can send people to me, and I'll disciple them, but I'm not living out among you. I'm not putting a risk to myself or my well-being. He even said that the Holy Spirit many a times had told me and warned me that there was nothing but chains and tribulation awaiting me from city to city. That the Holy Spirit said that to him. Whether it be through dreams and visions, like Paul was told at times, don't go here, don't go there, because he knew that difficulty was awaiting him. But there were times that prophets in the church would speak to him and say, you know what, be wary of this, because you know, difficulty is awaiting you ahead. But Paul knew that chains and tribulation were part of God's calling on his life, that he was going to be a witness to Caesar and to governors and kings and rulers. He knew that that was part of his calling. But to be part of that calling meant that he would have to be in prison. And in spite of knowing that, he said, you know, I held nothing back from you. I lived in such a large, generous way that you could experience the blessings of my life onto yours. The question you must ask yourself as you listen to this is that, are you living well? Are you living humbly? Are you living with integrity? Are you living generously? Or have you allowed the difficulties of life and the hurts of life and the challenges of life and the risks of being hurt again to cause you to kind of like miserly hoard things to yourself and say, okay, here's a little bit of kindness here and here's a little bit of generosity there and here's a little bit of love here. Or are you living like Paul did? says, I held nothing back. May it be that when you get to the end of your life, that when people are there at your funeral, when the the house is filled with the people that loved you, may they say of you that you held nothing back. By the grace of God and by the power of God at work in your life, may you be a person that has lived so large and generously in the way that you are through Christ that others would be able to say yes That was a person that lived well. Thirdly, cherish what you have learned. Cherish what you have learned. Verses 29 through 35. We are to remember what we learned from those around us. Paul says this, For you know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, meaning the church. Also from among you, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. But therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God in the word of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified, that I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you know that these hands have provided my own necessities and for those who are with me. And I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he says, remember what I taught you. Remember what I showed you. I discipled you. I raised you up. I created you as leaders, as elders in my church. And he says, you're going to need to know this. Because when I'm gone, like immediately, the moment that people realize I'm not there anymore, because Paul is a pretty strong personality, Paul was pretty forceful in his words. And so people would never challenge Paul. They would all, and you read this in like Corinthians and other books in the New Testament that people would talk about Paul when he wasn't there. But when Paul was there, they were like, oh, Paul. You know, they wouldn't say anything about Paul. So Paul is saying, when I leave you, 
understand that things are going to get hard for the church. There are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing, people who are false teachers who are kind of going to come in and try and destroy the church. And he says, even among you, that there will be people among you in your congregation that will rise up with, with uh, flawed theology, with heresies and perverse behavior, and they will seek to draw disciples after themselves. And he says, what you've learned from me is going to be important because from here on in, it's you. From here on in, you're not going to see me anymore, so you need to remember what I've taught you. You need to remember what I've passed on to you. And by doing so, continuing the work that I've given for you to do. So cherish what you've learned. But you say, well, pastor, like, some of my partings have taught me, like, nothing good. Like, that person was terrible to me. They said horrible things about me. They did horrible things to me. I, I was in a job, and they let me go in an unceremonious way. Like, I had served them. I had been at that job for 10 to 15 years, and they showed me the door like I was some piece of obsolete trash. How can I possibly learn anything from that? And think to yourself this way. Remember this, is that even in our bad experiences, we can learn the way we are, shouldn't be. Even if you have bad parenting, it's like, where is my mom and my dad growing up? Why did my dad abandon me? Why didn't my mom express her love for me? Why, why, did, why did the person that I'm married to, why, why don't they show concern for me? Why about all these things? But you can learn some things from your upbringing. You can learn some things from the experience that you've been through about how you ought to be. So if your father didn't show love, you become the one that shows love. If your, your uh, father wasn't faithful to your mother, you learn what it is to be faithful. You know, if you, if you were a child and, and you didn't quite have a nurturing, upbringing background, then you create an environment where there's a nurturing and upbringing background. You can learn something from the bad experiences. Even in the bad job that you were in, you're like, that job was terrible. I will never do that to an employee. I will never do that to somebody else because that was humiliating. That, that made me feel so small and so insignificant. I'm going to be a different kind of boss. I'm going to be a different kind of leader. It's like, well, I don't like that church, and I don't like the way they do things. Learn from what that church did wrong and find a church that does it right. If you find a church that does everything that, that's too centered around personality and there's no accountability, the next time you go into a church like that, you know. You can smell it. This place does not smell good, and it's not run right, so I'm going to get out of here before things get bad. That's wisdom. You learn something from those experiences. And Paul is saying, listen, while you were with me, you learned of me. We grew together. We spent three years together. You, you sat under my teaching. You sat under my guidance and my leadership. You went with me places. And so remember these things when things in the church, begin to take a change and a turn so that you'll know what you ought to do. And believe me, they stayed in touch with Paul, and Paul wrote them, and they wrote Paul, and there's still connection there. But as far as leading the church was concerned, it was up to them to lead the church and to learn from what they had gone through. Fourthly and finally, and as the worship team comes, this is the thought I really wanted to get to today is that he told, the last point is this, learn to leave well. Learn to leave well. Verses 36 through 38. Remember that Paul said to them, this is the last time you'll see my face. You will not see me again. 
And they could have taken that one or two ways. They could say, how can we go on without Paul? How can we do this thing without him? Like, Paul was larger than life. He was an apostle. He had miracle-working power in his hands. He spoke with words, and he could debate with people, and no one could disagree with him because of his wisdom and his intelligence. They said, how can we possibly ever replace Paul? We can't do this without him. But instead, they recognized, you know what? Paul has prepared us for this moment. He told them he would be leaving them and showed them the right way to leave. Verses 36 through 38. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing for most of the words that he spoke, and that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. By the way, when verse 37 says they fell on his neck, it means they, they hugged him. It doesn't mean that there was any kind of accident or traction happening there, okay? Eutychus didn't fall out the window and land on Paul. It wasn't anything like that, okay? It meant that they hugged him and they embraced him. So what do we see here? Paul's saying, listen, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm leaving you. I'm going. But he communicated that, okay? And that's the mark of a true apostle, that he cared so much for the people that he raised up. They said, you know what? I'm going to keep you in the know about what's going on in my life. To say that the Apostle Paul is a busy man is an understatement. He planted churches, he taught, he discipled, he preached. Not just one church, but many churches. He worked as an evangelist. Even as he pastored churches and led churches and was responsible for churches, he traveled as an evangelist, going to new cities and beginning new works and starting new churches. He wrote letters. Most of them that he wrote make up the New Testament that we have today. And yet, he still took time to communicate his plans to the people that he cared about, and went about it with prayer. When he told the Ephesian elders he was leaving them, he did so with communication, encouragement, and prayer. He told them their plans, he let them know that he cared about them, and he shared a bond with them in Christ. They wept together at the ending of one journey and prayed for him at the beginning of another. Prayer should always be a part of every decision you make especially the ones you decide to move on from. I'll say it again. Prayer should be at the, at the center of every decision you make, even the decisions you make to move on from, the situations you decide to move on from. Praying to God and asking him, is this the right move? And praying with others that you love and trust. Because there's a bond in prayer and a partnership in it that allows God to confirm or deny the next steps in your life through that bond. So every time when we make a decision, sometimes we say, I don't like this anymore. I don't like this job. I don't like this friendship. I don't like this church. I don't like this situation anymore. And instead of praying by, we're like, see ya. I'm out. But what did Paul do? Paul communicated. Said to him, listen, he sent for them. He didn't tell them why he was sending for them, but he got together. He says, listen, because I care about you, because I love you, I need to let you know I'm going. They didn't just all of a sudden one day realize that Paul's not there anymore. He didn't just disappear. He communicated to them his plans, his intent, and what was happening and going on in his life. And can I say, too, that there are times when we step away from something that we don't know the answer. Let's not try and uh, assume that we know. Okay? There are times we go through stuff. Family sickness. 
times we go through stuff, loss of a job, intense stress at home. And our inclination is sometimes to read into that unfaithfulness, to read into that laziness, to read into those things, things that aren't actually there until we actually get to know the story. But the only way that you get to know the story is if the other person is willing to communicate. So instead of coming across accusatory, come in a way that desires to understand. And sometimes you'll find out that they've just been, they've been sick at home for four weeks, and that's why they haven't been in church. Or they're barely struggling to get by financially, and that's why things are difficult. But we sometimes let our minds go too far. But can I just encourage you to communicate to those who are in need? But also, if you're on the end of things where things are not going well, listen, we can be self-sufficient all we want. We can be Superman or Superwoman and say, you know, I'm going to get by and I don't need anyone else. But you know what? There is something to be said about talking to people about what you're going through and letting them know what you're going through so that they can pray and care about it. It doesn't make you weak to say those things. It doesn't make you less of a person or less of a person that trusts God because you're going through those things. Instead, you'll find strength in being together with other brothers and sisters in Christ who can talk you through it, pray you through it, and walk you through it. So important. But before you leave anything, a job, a relationship, not a marriage, by the way, unless you're being abused, okay? Before you leave those things, you should say, God, is this what you want me to do? And oddly enough, there's times he'll have you stay, which is irritating. Because there's some places you say, I don't want to be here anymore. But the Lord hasn't given you the release to go yet. Can I challenge you to listen to him? There's a reason for it. There's a reason why he's told you to stay and not to go yet. Now, if you are in a situation where you say, okay, I'm in a situation where it's bad and I need to get out of the situation and I've prayed about it and I've talked to other people and I've prayed with them and they're godly people and they love God and I know I trust them and I've talked to them and they've prayed with me on it and I really feel in my heart this is what I should be doing, then by all means, go ahead. By all means, go ahead. Because you've got the, the, the marching orders from the Lord. You've got the green light. You've got the starting gun that he's fired off for you saying, all clear. Like he's got the little runway things. You say, okay, you're clear for takeoff. You're clear for going. But before you do, when you pray, make sure you talk to somebody about why you're doing it because they won't always understand. Sometimes we just disappear or we ghost or we flake or whatever the case might be. You know what it means to ghost on somebody? It means like you text them or you have an appointment with them or you're supposed to meet somebody and then you go there and then they don't show up at all and there's like no reply to your text and there's no answer for what's going on. Like, they don't tell you anything, so you're kind of just left in the dark. That's not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people of integrity, people of humility, people who would communicate what God wants to do or what God is doing in our situation, even in our pain, even in our turmoil. We have a tendency as people to start well but finish poorly. Ain't that the truth? When we get a new job, yes, new job! Two weeks later, I hate this job. <laughs> you prayed for that job. What did you think it was going to be? They're just going to let you sit around all day? It's going to be work. It's going to be hard. But you prayed for the opportunity. God gave you a job. You're in the job, and we're working the job. And like, this is hard. This feels like work. 
And that's right, because it is job. It is work. There's going to be days that we're like, there's going to be days at work. It's going to be crummy. It's going to be terrible. But it doesn't mean that the job was not sent from God and given to you at that moment. But you know what? So many people are good at the starting and the staying, but not, they're not good in the leaving. You know, not giving the two-week notice, not communicating to their boss. They're just like, I'm out of here. I'm done with you. How do we communicate the kind of people we are to people around us in the way that we choose to stay with something? Let's be a people of integrity when we do it. Paul literally showed them the right way to close doors. What I mean about this is finishing well. Ending everything you do, everything you start, I should say, ending everything you end with the same enthusiasm you did when you started it. We pray for opportunities. We ask God for friendships, for relationships, for jobs, promotions, new horizons. But when God answers those prayers and they prove to be harder than we thought, we complain about them. And we can't wait to get out of them. And don't get me wrong, there's times where a situation is toxic and you need to get out of there. But the way in which you do it makes the difference. There is a right way. As we walk through the doors God opens, let us be mindful about the ways that we choose to close those doors. Not the argument close the door when you're mad at somebody and you slam the door. But did you close the door the way that the Lord opened the door for you? Can we think about that for a minute? Can we close the door much in the same way that God opened it for you? If he opened it with grace and with his hand and with his presence, can we close that door the same way too? I think we owe it to the Lord to do it that way, to walk in that kind of integrity. So whether God's moving you on from a job or moving you up in a promotion, don't forget the people that are underneath you. When God changes things, when friendships end and we don't understand why, understand that there's, there's a way that we can choose to interpret it and handle it, or there's a way that we can go about doing it the right way. But you might say to yourself, okay, well, Pastor, what if the person didn't leave the right way? What am I supposed to do about that? Like, I do everything right, but then somebody else didn't do it the right way. And that does happen, doesn't it? Even among Christians. People leave jobs, and I don't give any explanation why. Like, you hired them, they're a Christian, right? Tell me if you've ever been in this situation. Try to do a brother or sister in Christ a solid by hiring them because they were a Christian, and then they were terrible, and then they didn't show up. And you're like, well, I'm never hiring anybody else. No, no, it doesn't mean that you don't, you're not living generously anymore. It just means that you're more discerning the next time around. People advance in their position, and sometimes they forget about you because on the organizational chart, they're higher than you now. Friends move away, and they don't stay in touch. It's like we were tight, we were you know, brothers in arms, you know, we were sisters in Christ, and, you know, we, we said, you know, we're going to stay in touch, and we're going to talk every day, and then you realize they don't talk, they don't call, they don't return your texts. You say, but yeah, but that person was, they said, they said. Relationships or marriages end with little explanation and great hurt. But here's what we can learn from the Ephesian elders. Meetings are a rich part of life. Leave the door open for them. Don't shut them entirely. Live with humility, integrity, and live generously. Even when people hurt you, don't become jaded, bitter, or vindictive, but rather carry yourself well the way a follower of Jesus should. Be a giving person full of grace and love and kindness of God. Remember what you've learned from the people who came into your life, both bad and good. There are things they taught you. Even bad jobs teach you something. How many of you have a job now that you're doing something that you learned at a bad job? 
career that you have that you started at a bad job. There are skills that I have in the pastorate that I learned in a bad job. I still use today. So you got something out of it. What do you walk away from it with? Be grateful for those times you had. Even if things got bad towards the end, there was a part where it was good. For a little while, it was good. And remember those things. Continue to work. Whether it's the work that God started in you, the family that needs you, or the job that still needs to be done. You know, God starts a work in you. And he's still working. He doesn't take a break. Jesus said, my father is working. Always working. And God's always working in us in some way, shape, or form. That even in the difficulties that we go through, God's working on you. So don't give up the work that he started that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus' return. He can do that. We've got people that are depending on us, in our families, in our jobs, in our church, the people we care about. Let's be a type of people that stays faithful to those things, even when people don't exhibit it towards us. T.D. Jakes once said, when people walk away from you, let them go. Your destiny was never tied to anyone that leaves you. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means their part in your story is over. Yeah, but I want them back. I want them to be part of the story. They don't want to be part of your story anymore. Yeah, but I could write them back in, and, then they, and they, don't, they don't want to be a character in that play anymore. And we can go around the circle over and over again waiting for that person, that friend to acknowledge us, that spouse to reconcile with us, that uh, pastor to finally recognize us. And we can go round and round that. Or we can just simply realize that they had a part in a season and a chapter of our life, but sometimes a chapter closes and we move on. But it doesn't mean that God's not done working on your life and working on theirs. So be faithful in those things. Don't regret the meetings and partings in your life. Recognize they're just part of the story that God has for you. Be open to those moments. Take away what you can take away from it and always, always, always choose to handle things the right way. If you say goodbye to a job, a relationship, a business partnership, a position, or a church, do it in a way that reflects God's grace at work in you. Can we pray? Let's bow our heads. And I don't know what your story is. Maybe you've been in some situations where, you know, I've been on the receiving end of more partings than meetings. And you've been hurt. You've been burned. You've been through some stuff. Maybe part of you says, you know, I'm not going to open that door anymore. I'm not going to open that door. I'm never going to work this job again or this field again. I'm never going to open my heart up to another friendship again. I'm never going to open my heart up to another relationship again. I'm never going to go to another church again, but can I challenge you today that God still works through our meetings and even our partings today. Can I challenge you today to just open your heart to the Lord and the doors that he wants to open to you and to live in such a way that you live fully and generously with the grace of God and the kindness of God at work in your life so that others are richly blessed, even for the short time that you come into their lives. 
choose to be a blessing and you'll be surprised at how many people want to be around you when you are. Maybe you've built up a wall and you've kind of shut yourself in because risk, the risk of hurt is too great and you've closed yourself off from the rewards of friendship and companionship because you don't want to be hurt. God can be the one that brings down walls and heals hurts and change things in your life if you let them. So let's pray towards that. And Father, you are great and gracious and loving. Thank you for the example Paul sets for us, Lord. I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to, to, Lord, not walk away bitter from things that we've been through. To not walk away from the things that we've experienced and and become jaded and cold and, and stingy in our love and grace. But I pray today instead that you would help us to approach everything, Lord God, with a perspective that comes from you. Help us to remember that, Lord, you're part of our story and the people you bring in and out of our lives are part of our story for good or bad, for blessings or ill, Lord God. They're part of our story. And I pray that you would do a healing work in hearts, that you bring down walls, that you would change lives today. Lord, you're the only one that can bring that about. I pray for a, a shift in their perspective today, that they would trust you and look to you as the one who is guiding and directing their steps, and that you redeem all things, Lord, in its proper time. Lord, I pray for those that you might be moving on hearts today, whether it's in their job or in a, a toxic friendship or relationship, Lord God. You might be moving them on. I pray, Lord God, by the counsel of the Word of God today, that they would always, always walk in integrity and do things the right way. Help them to follow you and live in such a way like Paul did, that he would communicate, encourage, and pray when faced with any change in his life. I pray that you would do that. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.